Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Hello, church. Welcome to House to House, episode 20. This is May the twin. No, May the 31st. Forgot what day it is. And I want to say to you, Yom Tov, or really, it's blessed Pentecost to you. Today is Pentecost. We're celebrating, and uh, it's a special day. It really is in many ways, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, I haven't forgotten about Ephesians. We're headed back to Ephesians 6, but we're going to take one more week and do something different since we'd already stopped. Plus, it's not every day or every Sunday that we get to celebrate Pentecost. So we're going to do that. We're going to do two things, Lord willing, today. Number one, we're going to answer the question, what is Pentecost? And then number two, why should I care? What difference does it make for my life today? Um, There are two things I would encourage you, or two passages I would encourage you to read before we get started. Number one, if you go back into the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 15, I think it's 15 through 21, uh, if you take and read that, that's the, the institution, that's the beginning of Pentecost. And so you'll get a little, a little background there. And then Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, that's Pentecost happening in the New Testament. That's the one that we're most familiar with. What happened in the beginning of the church, what happens there at the day of Pentecost, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so take some time and read those two passages. Maybe even talk about it a little bit if you want your groups there. Uh, and then we're going to come back together and begin to answer that first question, what is Pentecost? All right. Before we do that, would you join me as we pray? Lord, I thank you so much for this this wonderful day and the opportunity to remember and celebrate Pentecost. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the gift from Jesus to us. You are the promise, um, and you are God, very God, with us and in us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, and I pray that there would be revelation today and receptivity to you, to who you are, and what you want to do in our lives. I pray that for myself and each one who's watching. We give you glory, Lord Jesus, because the Holy Spirit was your gift to us. So we give you glory today. In your name we pray. Amen. See you in just a minute. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a chance to read those two passages. uh, Because it will help you, give you some background as we begin to talk about Pentecost. Uh, One thing that you need to understand about the nation of Israel, especially in ancient history, and even today, they still celebrate, but in different ways, but they had three pilgrimage feasts. In other words, three times a year, they were going to be traveling, either either the uh, the male head of the household or the whole family. They would be traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate these three pilgrimage feasts. The first is Passover. The second was Pentecost. The third was Tabernacles, or booths. It's called both. Uh, and with two of these feasts, they were three-in-one feast. Passover was actually a three-in-one feast. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was uh, Passover and then first fruits. All three were part of this one thing we call Passover. Uh, Pentecost was a standalone by itself. And then Tabernacles was also a three-in-one feast. And so you would have uh, the, the Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and then tabernacles. And in a minute, I'll talk about the significance of all those. But um, right now, just to understand, those were the feasts that took place. Pentecost was the one in the middle. Now, these were harvest feasts. 
They were pilgrimage feasts because they traveled. They were harvest feasts because they each happened at different harvests of the year. The first harvest, the early harvest, was barley. It was usually the smallest, but it happened right around the time of Passover. So when they were gathering together, that was part of the feast. This was part of the celebration, was the harvest of barley. The second one, which happened 50 days later, was Pentecost. That was the wheat harvest. It was a bigger harvest. Um, And there was a celebration there and, and this offering that went to the Lord. The final one was Tabernacles, which happened in the fall. It was the everything else harvest. It was all the other things other than wheat and barley. And so you would have these feasts that are built around these harvests that took place, the fruit of the ground, if you will, the the produce that God provided for them, because they were an agricultural society. Now, Pentecost is really interesting. Penta simply means five, like Pentagon, five-sided building. So Penta is five. You add cost to it, it means times ten. So Pentecost literally is five times ten, or fifty. That's all the word means. No matter what you've heard or how you've heard it described or whatever, Pentecost simply means 50. Um, it, because it falls exactly 50 days after Passover. Well, after the Sabbath after Passover. I should be clear. If you go back and read, God was very specific. So whenever Passover happens, because Passover could happen on a Tuesday this year and Thursday next year, depending on how, things, you know, how the calendar worked out or, or any other day of the week. But the Sabbath after Passover was when they were to begin counting. And the scripture says they were to count seven weeks, seven times seven. Sometimes uh, Pentecost is called the Feast of Weeks because it's seven times seven, that's 49, and then add one day. So there's 50. So the Sunday after the Sabbath, that's seven weeks after Passover, is when you have Pentecost. All right? God was very specific about this. Now let me point something out because I want you to love God's word as much as I do. Um, God not only is, knows all things, but he's very specific in what he reveals to us. He knew, even though it was going to happen 1,500 years later, he knew that Jesus would rise from the grave, that he would spend 40 days with his disciples, and then he would ascend back into heaven, and then they would go back to Jerusalem and wait for 10 days, and on that day, on Pentecost, he would send the promised one, the Holy Spirit. All right. All of this was foretold in the way they did feast 1,500 years earlier. God spells it all out for them. So it's very, even though it's historical, it's significant because we see the plan of God. God always has a plan. He's never caught off guard or by surprise. So we have this happening at Pentecost. Now, I want you to see something else that's taking place there. Pentecost was a celebration of the giving of the law. That's what they literally were doing when they, when they celebrated Pentecost, when they came together. There was this harvest that was taking place, but it fell just at the same time that the law was given, back the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses was given, way back after they came out of, Exodus, out of, out of Egypt, during the Exodus. And so they would celebrate this giving of the law. There's some interesting things about that. Number one was... They couldn't keep it even back then. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, which is the giving of the law, and then the chapters that, that follow it, you'll see that immediately, I mean, I almost said almost immediately, but it really is immediately. It, what, there's no almost to it. They are breaking the law that they said that they were going to honor and keep immediately. Moses goes up to spend time on the mountain with the Lord, And while he's gone, they build a golden calf, which was the first law. You'll have no graven images. I mean, they they immediately began to break the law. Some of the the ceremonies that they were doing were pagan ones they had picked up. And so there was some 
immoral activity, adultery, and things happening at the foot of the mountain while the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, they couldn't keep it. But don't be too hard on them because you and I couldn't keep it either. And so while Moses is up there, God says, I'm going to kill all those folks and start over. And, and he says, you need to get down and see what's going on. So he goes back down and they're, they've made this calf and they're dancing and worshiping around it. Aaron's there and he says, I just did what the people wanted. You know, they just threw the gold in and boop, came out came the calf. And I mean, it's crazy when you read the Bible, just read it literally. I mean, it's, it's funny how we try to justify ourselves. Um, and so all of this takes place. And if you'll read the account in, in, in Exodus chapter 32, you'll notice that 3,000 died there at the giving of the law. This law that was written in stone, which the people could not keep. But God gave a promise, and he kept giving this promise all through the Old Testament. One of the most clear places is in Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, if you want to read it sometime, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. But he says, I'm going to take, there was this old law written with the finger of God on stone tablets, and they couldn't keep it. But he says, there a day is coming when I'm going to write the law on your heart, and I'm going to be with you. You're going, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And I'm not just going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. He's prophesying what's going to happen with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Which is really interesting. Because at the giving of the first law, Mosaic law, 3,000 died. At the giving of the law of Christ and the Spirit of God, 3,000 are saved. That's not by accident. The Lord is at work. He's saying... I gave you this and it had a purpose and a plan. The law wasn't evil. The problem is we're evil. And the law just revealed that. That's what the Apostle Paul said. The law wasn't bad. It just revealed that I'm bad. It revealed the sin in my own heart. And God says, you know what? I'm going to deal with that because I'm going to write the law of love. I'm going to write the law of Christ on your heart by the Holy Spirit. And so rather than this external law that you're keeping, these rules that you're keeping, I'm going to have this internal presence that's speaking to you, that's guiding you, that's empowering you to live by my standard. This was the significance of Pentecost. This is what they're celebrating. They were celebrating the giving of the law. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the fact that the law now resides within us. God himself residing in us, empowering us, helping us do what we could not do otherwise. All right? Now, why does this really even matter? How does this impact me today? We're going to talk about that more when we return in just a minute. Welcome back. Um, We'll talk about Pentecost, and it's interesting. I've spent almost all of my life in church. Uh, Some of you have different stories. You know, your story is different than mine. But I literally went to church as a baby. I've, I've been in church my whole life. Um, different churches, different kinds of churches, different places and locations. But I often find that Pentecost is one of those things, one of those subjects that can stir controversy in the church um, among God's people. We have different takes, different perspective. Um, Some would say, you know, um, it's different theology. And I guess sometimes there is different theology that that is involved in, in the study of Pentecost. One of the things that saddens me, though, is that I think Pentecost can often bring division among God's people. And I know that that was never Jesus' intention when he said, I'm going, it's better that I go away so the Holy Spirit will come. His vision for Pentecost was never that it would be controversial, that it would stir division. Quite the contrary. And so today, I don't think I can answer or I can solve all the controversies surrounding Pentecost that's been around in the church for centuries. 
But I do pray that God will give us a little greater perspective today on it. And I want to share something with you that, because I've wrestled a lot. I come from a very traditional um, background. I grew up Southern Baptist in a very traditional Southern Baptist kind of church. Uh, We knew we were right because John was a Baptist. The Bible says so. And so um, that's kind of how I grew up. And um, of course, others who were a different tradition could make the argument, well, yeah, but Pentecost is in Scripture. So we're, we're biblical. Too. I mean, again, that argument doesn't hold if you start trying to draw lines and division. But I really wrestled for a long time with who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, what about Pentecost? What does this mean? What I saw, what I didn't see, what I understood and didn't understand. And so I have spent a lot of years wrestling through and walking through and encountering the Holy Spirit personally. And let me share with you some things that have helped me, especially if you come from a background like mine. Now, if you came from a different background, you think, Troy, this is all fundamental. It's elementary. And I, and I get that. But there are probably quite a few like me who it's not elementary to them. And in some ways, I was even taught at one point in time that a lot of this talk and a lot of the things that were talked about as evidence of the Holy Spirit was actually demonic. And so I don't want to be demonic. You don't want to be demonic. And we don't want to be controlled by demons. And so, again, having to break down some of these lies and these misconceptions. One of the challenges that we face, in my opinion, based on what I see in God's Word, is that we try to take something that the Lord never said was universal for believers, and we try to make it universal. And the thing that He does say is universal, we ignore that. So let me explain what I mean. We often talk about gifts of the Spirit as though they're universal for every believer. In other words, every believer has certain manifestations Uh, certain gifts that we give. And yet, 1 Corinthians 12 says the exact opposite. It says there's a variety of gifts. There are differences in gifts. Um, There are different motivations. There are different uh, manifestations. There are different ministries of gifts. But it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that the Spirit gives to each individually as He wills. So it's according to His will, what He gives, the expression of gifts, what the gifts are, and the expression of those gifts. So if I try to make a universal standard for all believers based on that, I feel like I'm automatically coming up against Scripture because it says the Holy Spirit does this individually as He sees fit, not as I see fit or as you see fit. So if I take and make that not universal, gifts of the Spirit, certain manifestations of the gift of the Spirit, uh, and I, I take that pressure off so that I'm requiring, I'm expecting every believer to have the same experience or to have the same um, expression then that takes a certain, that gives a certain freedom to be able to say, okay, God, what are you doing and how are you working in each one, in each of our lives? Uh, it bothered me for a while because certain expressions that I really, of, of the Spirit in people's lives that I really respect and love, I didn't seem to have those same expressions in my life. I had different expressions. I had other things that God was doing and I've come to really appreciate and find great joy and, and just connection with the Holy Spirit and what he's done in my life. But it was different than, than someone else. That's okay. I had to have wise believers take me through that. You know, the universal standard that we see when it comes to the Holy Spirit are the fruit of the Spirit. Um, this is in Galatians 5, 22. I bet you can go over and read it for yourself or open up to it, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It lists the fruit of the Spirit for us. And this is universal because it starts with love. We know God is love. 
We know that our calling is to love one another. We know that the world's going to know we're his followers by the way that we love one another. This is universal. There, there, there don't seem to be any exceptions to this as followers, as believers of Jesus Christ. But I want to share with you something that really kind of cemented this even more to me recently. I was listening to a, a Jewish believer, a Messianic Jew is the term, that just simply means a, a Jew who believes in Jesus as Messiah. He's a pastor, uh, Greg Stone. And I was listening to him and he, he was bringing out some insights, some ideas that really resonated with me. So I went back and began to kind of dig into it and pray about it. And I want to share some of that with you because it meant a lot to me in this whole idea of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing right now today in our life. The, what Pentecost is all about today in my life. Yes, there are gifts that he does, and the scripture talks about that, and we're not ignoring any of that. But there's also fruit, and this is what he loves to do in our life. Matter of fact, I believe in all of our lives he wants to do this very thing. When Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit, the produce, remember these, these festivals, these feasts? They were harvest feasts. The fruit, the produce, the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. Period. Notice it says is. See, grammatically, I would think it would say the fruit of the Spirit are, plural, because you're going to get a list here. I'm going to go through all that whole list. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. I believe there's one fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, what does love look like? Because we have a hard time defining love, especially in our day. I love chocolate and I love my wife, but not the same way. I, we, love, we use love for so many things. And I, God knew that. He knew that in this day in which you and I live, 2,000 years after the original Pentecost, that we'd have a hard time defining love and what it really looks like. So he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And in case you're wondering what love looks like, let me describe it for you. And in case we're wondering, does this really line up with Scripture in, in all of its context? You can open up, if you've got Galatians 5.22 there, you can also turn back over to 1 Corinthians 13. You recognize that? That's the love chapter, right? There, the Apostle Paul, who was the human author of both of these books, he's expressing something. Fruit of the Spirit over here, what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, how do you define love? Folks, they match up. They're there. You can see them. As a matter of fact, I drew little lines across it so that I could begin to see in, in this thing. You have... Patience in both of them. Be patient. Love is patient. In Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit is patience. Love is kind. Kindness is in Galatians 5. Does not envy or boast. Now this is really interesting. Why would I be envious? What would cause me to be envious? Because I'm doubting what God's given to me and what he's doing in me. I don't have faith for what God has for me. And so I'm envious and I want what somebody else has. He says, but if you're not envious, then what are you? You're faithful. That's listed as one of the fruit. That's, that's the description of love. Is not arrogant or rude. It's not prideful. Proverbs 13.10 tells us only by pride comes contention. So we take the pride out, then contention says there's peace. So if we're not arrogant and rude, there's peace. He keeps going through these. Does not insist on its own way. i got to have it my way. That's gentleness. It's also translated meekness. But it's this idea of yielding of rights, of surrendering and letting go. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Well, what's, the, what's another way of saying wrongdoing? You could say, doesn't rejoice at evil. What's the opposite of evil? Well, good. So goodness would be the, the quality 
of not rejoicing at wrongdoing. But it says it does rejoice. It rejoices at the truth. There's joy in what is true. There's joy in the Lord because He is ultimate truth and then everything that He reveals to be true. There's joy in that. It rejoices the truth. It bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. That's self-control. Folks, Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13, they go together. The fruit of the Spirit in your life and in my life is love. What does love look like? What does that mean? Then he said, here's what it looks like. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and me. This is what he wants to produce. One of the things I found very interesting in a study uh, going through the book of Acts at the Holy Spirit and what he does, in the, and, and you saw this, it was different in different ones. Some places he, he filled them with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Others he filled them with the Spirit and they prophesied. Other places they shared the word with boldness. In other places uh, they prayed. I mean, you see these different things. One consistent thing I saw all the way through the book of Acts is that what the Holy Spirit did when he came and he filled, when he baptizes, when he's in control, when we're surrendering and re- surrendering to Him and receiving Him, what does He do? He changes our language. He changes our speech. Where does that start? According to Scripture, it starts in the heart. starts internally. The Holy Spirit's at work internally, changing us from within so that we do have gentleness and faith and goodness and self-control and joy and peace and all these things that are described there. He's doing that work internally. And it changes our language. It changes what comes out, which in turn impacts our environment. Every person, everywhere that we go. This is why Pentecost is so important. This isn't theory. This isn't theology that's abstract and out there to distance. It's internal. It's God in you and me changing us, transforming us, changing us, as 1 Corinthians says, from glory to glory. Now, it's, we're always in process. One day we'll see Jesus face-to-face, and we'll be just like him. Until then, we're in process. But that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And that's why Jesus said, it's better that I go so that he will come, because he's going to do this work in you. Now, I have a question for you. It's a serious question. Are you, have you, and are you receiving the Holy Spirit? You say, well, Troy, I've received Jesus as my Savior. Great. So did I. It's important. That's the first step. That's where faith begins. You receive Jesus by faith. But you also receive the Holy Spirit. I think this is part of what it means um, in Luke chapter 11. I think it's Luke 11, 11, where Jesus is talking to them. And he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, he said, you know, if your child came and asked for bread, you wouldn't give him a, ser- a snake. Um, you know how to give good gifts to your children. If you being evil know how to do that, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, see, that messed with my theology growing up in the church that I grew up in. Why do I have to ask for any of this? I got Jesus. I got the Holy Spirit. Yes, I did. I believe all of that. But I'm not sure I received him. I think I acknowledged him. I was aware of him. But I'm not sure I was willing to receive all that he wanted to do and keep on doing that on a daily basis, receive all that he wants to do in my life. You say, how do I do that? Simply by faith, the same way I received Jesus, by faith. As a matter of fact, it's interesting when you look at these feasts. Passover is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It happens at Easter, when we celebrate what we call Easter. 
And so you have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Were you there 2,000 years ago when that happened? No, neither was I. But am I able to enter into it by faith? Absolutely. Everything that we believe, everything that we do is based on the fact we entered into what Jesus did then by faith. Well, what about the Feast of Tabernacles? See, there we have trumpets, Day of Atonement, and tabernacles or booths. What's that a picture of? One day a trumpet will sound, and there will be a judgment. All right? But we will not stand in judgment because we have been atoned by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we will be invited in for all of eternity to tabernacle, to dwell with the Lord, just to hang out face-to-face, whatever that looks like. I don't even know what all that looks like, but it's going to be great, better than anything we've ever imagined. How do I know that's going to happen? I believe it by faith. I enter into it by faith. Hasn't happened yet, hasn't been fulfilled yet, but it will be, and I enter in by faith. If Passover is entered into by faith, and if Tabernacles is entered into by faith, then wouldn't it stand to reason that Pentecost is entered into by faith? I believe by faith. The Holy Spirit is who God says He is because He's God, very God. And He works in my life that way. He wants to change me from the inside out. He also wants to give me gifts. And we talk about that in different places at different times. But He wants this universal quality of God manifested in my life, which is love. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. I imagine it's a challenge for you too. Have you, are you receiving the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Not where you saved. That's great. If you haven't been, that's where you start. But if you have been, this is an ongoing work. Keep on being filled, Ephesians 5 tells us, with the Holy Spirit. His ongoing work in our life. I want you to take a moment. Only you can answer that question. You and the Holy Spirit, are you really open and receiving the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? Because only you can answer it. I can't answer it. No one else can answer it for you. We may have opinions, but that's all they are. He will answer it for you if you ask Him. Why don't you take a minute? We'll be back. As we wrap up today, I want to share a verse with you and a little story. Uh, the verse is Romans 5.5. 5. Again, just more confirmation of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. But the Scripture says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is the work that God wants to do by the Holy Spirit in us. It's His love. His love in us, His love at work in us, and through us. Now, it must be received. He must be received. His work, who He is, and the work that He wants to do. I love the illustration. Uh, Years ago, as a matter of fact, I was about 18, I think, the first time I came to this area. I didn't know back then that I was going to live here. had no idea. Uh, But I was in Titusville. My dad was there on business, um, and my mom and dad and I were there. And we happened to go to Park Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, Pastor Peter Lord was pastoring then. And um, I remember, my dad in particular, but me as well, I remember hearing some messages and sermons by Peter Lord and influenced by him. And so we went to church there. And um, again, just these encounters that God arranged for me with the Holy Spirit. just I look back on my life and realize, God, you were always at work. You were always guiding and moving. Much I didn't understand at 18, much I don't understand now at 53, but God was moving and he was working. Peter Lord shared a story, not on that occasion, but he shared a story that I really like about receiving the Holy Spirit. 
And um, having grown up and actually pastored in a tradition very much like mine, uh, where we didn't talk too much about the Holy Spirit, he was in a quiet time with the Lord one day, and the Lord really prompted him and just said, Peter, have you received the Holy Spirit? And he's like, Lord, you know I have. I got saved here. You know when I got saved, and and the Holy Spirit's in me. He goes, I know, Peter, but have you really received the Holy Spirit? It's like, I don't understand, Lord. And he said, well, and then he said, the Lord reminded me. Uh, about that time, my mother-in-law had come to live with us. She'd been there for several months at that point. And he said, your mother-in-law is in your home. Now, she can come and just be and, and reside in your home, but it doesn't mean that you've received her. It just means she's there. To receive her is to embrace her as though this was her home. It's no longer my home and she's just a visitor in this place. But this is her home. This is her place. This is where she has reign to do and, and to lead and to guide in certain ways. He said, I realized at that moment, this is Peter Lord sharing, I realized at that moment that I had never had that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. I recognized that He was indwelling me that he had sealed me for the day of redemption. But it wasn't a daily him guiding me, him speaking, me listening and responding, me welcoming his direction, his control in my life. Folks, I will tell you this from my own personal experience. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He will not force it. He waits to be invited. He waits to be asked. But when we ask, oh, what he will do when we ask him. That's my challenge to you today and every day, not just on Pentecost, but every day should be Pentecost for us. Every day, a fresh revelation of who the Holy Spirit is and a responding and receiving His work in our heart and life. That's my prayer for you and for me. God bless you. Grace and peace.